Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. This guy is playing Frank Sinatra, and this guy is Gary Thomas. Gary, welcome to WGN. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. You know, and I saw this and I thought, this looks fascinating because you are performing as Frank Sinatra. And I'm curious as to how this all began. Why Frank Sinatra? Why not Diana Ross? Why not The Temptations? (laughs) Why not somebody else? I'd have a hard time passing for Diana Ross. I think that's true. But I'll make a quick clarification. I'm not actually performing as Frank Sinatra. I, I'm performing as myself, but I'm doing uh, his a, music? A, a Frank Sinatra tribute uh, and, and sort of doing my own take on things. Um, for example, we do uh, one song, which was made famous by Barbara Streisand, which is On a Clear Day. And Frank also covered On a Clear Day uh, before Streisand's famous version. Uh, and his version was a little lugubrious. So we do our own take on that song that is... Um, unlike either Barbara's or Frank's. But to answer your question, how all this got started, it's a bit of a story. And, and Can I tell you the story? Sure, I've got time. Okay. So it was during the pandemic, and uh, I had always been a singer. Um, but in the last few years, I, I hadn't sung very much. Um, so a friend of ours had retired from New York City to Kenosha, Wisconsin, and uh, he was part of our bubble, and we would go up there part and visit. Part of your what? Part oh, of our bubble. Oh, right. Our it's bubble. During the pandemic. Yeah, because okay. we weren't seeing people. We were hardly going out. And so there's this supper club that was open, uh, and it was between Kenosha and Racine. And this uh, supper club is called The Hobnob, and it's right on Lake Michigan. And The Hobnob opened in 1954. And inside, it's very, you know, like, you know, I don't know what you'd call it, like very, you know, Hollywood Regency kind of style. And there was a, a piano player, and there is a piano player by the name of Michael on Saturday night. So they sat us right next to, to Michael. And Michael's playing, and I'm thinking, wow, this place is great. And I thought to myself, you know, someone should be singing Sinatra here. And I wasn't even particularly into Sinatra at the time. Mm-hmm. So I asked Michael, I said, hey, Michael, next, you know, we're up here fairly regularly. Next time uh, I come back, can I sing a couple of Sinatra tunes? He said, sure. So I came back, like, you know, next, uh, the following month, and we tried to wing it, and it was a, a big disaster. The, oh, yeah. the, the, we hadn't rehearsed first. The microphone was was of low quality, you know, uh, the PA was crackling or whatever. So I said, Michael, can we try this again, but can we rehearse at your house first? And he said, sure. So we went to his house and we rehearsed and we did two songs, but I I was still kind of nervous, hadn't sung in a few years. It went better. Next time I came up, I said, Michael, by the way, uh, can I do four songs next time instead of two? And I, I brought my own mic. He said yes. So then we did it again. Went a little rehearsed. Went a little bit better. And then the and they ne- were all Sinatra songs. Yeah, all Sinatra. Then the next time I said, "Hey, Michael, you know that your PA doesn't sound too good. Can I come back again and do it next month?" 
Um, and he said, sure. And I said, okay, can I do six songs? And he said, sure. And I said, by the way, I'm bringing my own PA. <laughs> And so now you had a show. Yeah, you were and, doing. and it went on and on, it went on until finally I'm bringing my own mic, my own mixer, my own PA, and I'm doing eight songs. And I'm getting a little bit better each time. I started taking voice lessons from uh, Lizzie Trumbor, and uh, who's a, a, a young jazz vocalist here in the city. And then the uh, the kind of magical thing happened: the audience, the people eating and drinking in the restaurant, started to listen. Mm. And that's when I knew that. Uh, I I had something and should carry it on. Yeah. How long ago was that? That was maybe, like, I'd say between two, two and three years ago. And now the show is called It Was a Very Good Year, Sinatra, 1954. You're appearing January 14th at Davenport's Cabaret, which is on Milwaukee Avenue, 1300 block, I think. Yeah, uh, it's at 1318 North Milwaukee Avenue. Okay. So uh, why... That why Sinatra fifty four. Are you looking at music that he did in fifty four? Well, it was a very interesting year for him. Uh, it was and, a very good year, huh? Yeah, it was. His career uh, kind of tanked in the late forties and, and early fifties. Um, he had started out as a singer with the Tommy Dorsey band, um, but. Come World War II, uh, he he was not drafted. He was, I believe, classified 4F. A lot of people thought of him as a draft dodger. Do you think uh, he was? No, he had I th- he had medical issues. What do you know? What they were? Well, not to get personal with you, Frank. <laughs> um, oh, God. Yeah, I think he might have been deaf in one ear, and his birth was very deaf in one ear. Now I know, that would I know, be wait, fascinating. I, I, well, because... I, wait, I could be wrong on that. Let, uh, strike, strike that from the record. Okay, <laughs> strike that from the record. We'll edit it out. Yeah, uh, I, you know, he, I, I can't remember. I can't remember what his medical issues are. I'm, That's okay. I'm, but I know he had a very difficult birth, and was um, we looked it up. He has a yeah. perforated. He had a perforated eardrum. Apparently, yeah, maybe that's it. Now and, I'm curious about how that heals because as a singer you have to have good hearing right and at that point in time they didn't have ways as they do now with technology to accentuate that hearing if you don't have it but paul simon simon and garfunkel Mm -hmm. came right yes he just said i'm not performing anymore because my hearing is is going you know so that's interesting in of itself yeah i mean what whatever he was doing it worked right (laughs) I, yeah, well, yeah, as a singer, yes. Well, so, um, but to go back to your question about why 1954, um, his career had been on a downward trajectory, um, and he had broken with his record company, Columbia, and he hadn't released an album for four years. Um, and he signed with, with Capitol. And, you know, they were a, a younger, hipper... Um, record company, and they were going to help him make the transition from kind of a teen idol where he started to a, a more mature kind of uh, image uh, and sound. And he got to work with great arrangers there. Nelson and Riddle. Nelson yeah. Riddle. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so he released those two albums in, in 1954 
um, which is Songs for Young Lovers and Swing Easy. And it was a, a great new sound for him. And so after not having done anything for four years, it was uh, a big comeback year for him. What is it about the fact that I'm talking to you now, that there's such interest in Frank Sinatra all these years later? He passed away, as I recall, in the early 1980s? No, no. I, I think he... It was the, the, either the later 80s or Early maybe 90s even, even... Yeah, he had a, he released two big albums. Um, he passed away in 98. Oh, we, okay. I've got, I've got a producer who's on okay. it. Thank you, Colin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his biggest albums, I think, were in the early 90s, his two duets albums. Yeah. Those were the biggest albums he, he had, which really? is kind of ironic. Yeah, sold more units than huh. any of his other albums. Um, and, uh, you know... He didn't have his biggest hits until the 70s, New York, New York. So, you know, I grew up in an era, and I hate to say it, where Frank Sinatra had become a bit of a parody of himself. You had Joe Piscopo parodying him on on Saturday Night Live. And I think my generation, uh, you know, maybe wasn't so into him. But, you know, there had to be something there to parody and what I especially like about his 50s stuff is it's pre-Rat Pack. And I think he had developed this persona, this saleable persona during the Rat Pack era. You know, that is a little offensive by today's standards. But that, I don't think, was him. I think it was a persona to sell seats in casinos in Las Vegas. Not an impersonator. I want to make that clear. Uh, but he is doing a show of Frank Sinatra music coming up. Gary Thomas, who will be performing with the Tom Toms. Gary, first of all. Yes. This is when he did change his entire persona. That song was, in fact, I don't know that you'll be performing that song or not, but it was from 1954. It was a very good year. I think so. No, it was. For, it's actually from later. Okay. It's actually from a little bit later in his career. Um, but, you know, when I was putting the show together, I was talking to uh, my current voice teacher, uh, David Edelfeld, who also has a show coming up at Davenport's tomorrow on New Year's <laughs> Eve. Okay. If you're listening, David. Uh, but um, he said, don't you think you should put that song in in the show if you're going to call the show? It was a very good year, 1954. And I said, well, maybe, but maybe, it'll, maybe or maybe not. Maybe it'll go in the next show. But, uh, you know, 1954, it was a very good year, but that song is from a little bit later in his career. That song, well, I thought it was from Songs for Young Lovers, but maybe I'm not. wrong. Uh it came out in 1965, so once again, my producer figures this all out, and you are correct. All right, so my question, though, is so many of his songs are about phrasing, mm-hmm. and many others have performed that song. Many others. No one likes Sinatra. What was it about his phrasing that made him so unique? He had a great voice, but it was more than about his voice. Well, yeah, perhaps it was his phrasing. Uh, and, you know, phrasing is all about kind of where you take breaths and how you shape the words that, that you're singing and, and putting it all together. 
I think what was most magical about the way he sang was how he imbued the lyrics with such meaning and and sang from his heart. Um, another musical friend of mine, who's a musical director, uh, Jeff Lewis. I went for a lesson with him, and what he told me was, uh, the audience is your partner in the scene of the song. Whoa. So you that, can- is, that, is, that is amazing. Say that again. I love that. The audience is your partner in the scene of the song. So you cannot just sing the song. You have to communicate the song. And uh, and early on, when I first started doing this, I was just singing the songs. And he's like, "What's what's your intent? You know, what are you trying to communicate?" And that you have to focus on the audience and have a dialogue with them through the song. And I think that's what all the great singers do. Um, you know, uh, Frank Sinatra, Barbara Streisand. Bette Midler, uh, you know, Judy Garland, uh, all of them. Jimmy Durante. <laughs> well, yeah. no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but even so, but, any but, performer, any performer yeah. that's performing live has to... But Sinatra, I would say, uh, took it to a different level. I, I heard him say in an interview, kind of like, not in those words, but kind of like what you just said. He said, you have to live in the song. Yes. And then... You are, and I'm paraphrasing, and then you are talking not to the audience, but with the audience. Exactly that. Yeah. And that's why that quote is like, it's like almost what Mr. Sinatra said. The other thing I want to ask you about is that I've been, I was fortunate to see him twice at the Chicago Theater. And once was with Dean Martin and Sammy Davis, and Mm. once was with... uh, Sammy Davis, who was by then kind of ill. Dean Martin was already too ill. Mm -hmm. And it was toward the end. I mean, Sinatra was using a teleprompter at that point. But he loved performing Chicago. And uh, I think it was Liza Minnelli. Yes, another great great who I wanted to mention who does that. Yes. So, So Sinatra, though, I don't remember. I was talking to David Plyer about this earlier on the air. Uh, I sat in row H, let's say, in mm, Chicago mm-hmm. Theater. I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> uh, d- decent seats, whatever they were. And, and, but I felt like I was on stage with him and, or a part of the orchestra. If I had sat all the way in row XX or whatever the last row is in mm-hmm. Chicago Theater or even a theater bigger than the Chicago Theater, I would have felt the same. Yes. Not every performer can do that. I saw, I've seen Liza a couple of times, and the last time was at the Chicago Theater, and she was, you know, know, her health wasn't so great at the time or whatever, but I'd seen her in the early 90s. But whatever she had lost in her voice or physicality, she still had the ability to hold an audience in the palm of her hand and communicate the song. And that's what all the greats do i think Hmm. my humble opinion no i i don't disagree with that (laughs) at all what are some of the songs we will recognize uh that you will be performing oh oh from that you might recognize the sinatra songs what songs are you going to be performing in the show um 
Okay, this is where my mind usually goes blank. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you remember the lyrics. I do remember the lyrics. Uh, Well, okay, I'm going to, I sing... I'm going to sit right down and write myself a letter, which you may or may not recognize. I don't. Yeah, some of these songs from these these two albums are not his biggest hits. Um, I sing My Funny Valentine, which course, you should yes. know. And uh, I sing A Foggy Day in, in London Town. Uh, I sing... Do you uh, sing Chicago, My Kind of Town? Darn I, it! I... Not at Davenport's, but I think I'm going to work that into the, uh, we're working that into the set. So that is going to be probably in the set at, at the Venus. The thing about Davenport's is they only give you an hour. Uh, whereas Venus, uh, so the, at, at Davenport's, it's, it's somewhat a, an abbreviated version of the show because oh. you only have an hour. Okay. I, I did this show, the same show at the Venus sold out two nights in September of uh, 2023. And it was so popular that people were literally calling the box office saying, when is he coming back? Nice. Um, so then I decided to do the show again at Davenport's and then uh, I'm bringing it back to the Venus for one night only. And this will pro- that'll probably be the last time I do this show uh, I'm bringing that back to the Venus on February 25th. Right. And I might add, yes. if anyone wants tickets to any of these shows, you can always get them uh, at my website. See what's coming up at GaryThomasSwings.com. GaryThomasSwings.com. Oh, before we run out of time, and we're almost out very quickly, the Tom Toms, who are they? Yeah. The Tom Toms, okay. Uh when I was putting together the band, uh, the first person I called was my dear friend and guitar teacher from many, many years ago, Tom Klein. And, uh, of course, my name is Gary Thomas. And then Tom helped me put together the band, which is uh, Paul Casino on piano and Mark Burles on upright bass and uh, Nils Higdon on drums. Okay. So, and, and then the just Tom because Toms? of the the, okay. the the name is the Toms, that we became the Tom Toms. Just curious about that. All right. January 14th at 7 o'clock at Davenport's Cabaret on Milwaukee Avenue. Your website again is? GaryThomasSwings.com, and you can get all the tickets and any information you need right there.